Welcome to the Front Office Exchange, where we take a look at the careers of executives and rising stars within the sports business. Now, here's your host, Jake Failing. Hey, everybody. This is episode 19 of the Front Office Exchange podcast. Wow, getting close to 20. We're in the holiday season. This is awesome. Today, I am excited for our guest. It is Doug Worf, Carolina Hurricanes Vice President of Marketing and Executive Director of its Kids and Community Foundation. Now, Doug and I ran in many of the same circles when I was in Raleigh. We have uh, many of the same friends, even growing up and back in college. Uh, And he continues to be one of the most well-respected executives, not just in sports, but overall in the Triangle area of North Carolina. He's been with the Hurricanes almost his entire career. So he's seen the ups, a Stanley Cup title, and he's seen the downs, some maybe underperforming seasons, as well as two lockouts. Um, while Doug doesn't have the perspective of some I've had on previous podcasts who've bounced between multiple stops over the course of their careers, it's always interesting to hear why people left certain places, how they were promoted in others. But it's his perseverance and what he's learned throughout the years in his one stop with the Canes and those aforementioned bumps in the road, which make his story unique. Uh, It was also refreshing to hear how passionate he is about his work in the community through the Hurricanes Foundation and how important it was for him to keep that executive director responsibility even after he was promoted out of community relations and into his current VP role. This one was a lot of fun. So without further ado, Doug Worf of the Carolina Hurricanes. Doug Worf, welcome to the Front Office Exchange. How are you, sir? I'm great. Yourself? I'm all right. Thank you for uh, for coming on. We were, gosh, we go back a long time seeing each other at events, uh, but you know, it wasn't just until a couple weeks ago that we uh, finally, I think, got a chance to sit down and and catch up. So uh, I'm glad to now have you on. Uh, my pleasure as well. It's always fun to watch you uh, and your various web endeavors. It was good to see you in person. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll get you on the heels of a win. So yeah, and uh, a late night win, one of those that ends at uh, a little after one on the East Coast. So I, I'm wide awake, feel good, ready to rock. Hopefully you've had your coffee. Yeah, I've had something. I think it was is it a Mountain Dew Purple or something, grape? What, what do you got there? Uh, <laughs> that is my drink. Wow. That's a little <laughs> inside, inside baseball here. Uh, yes, it's uh, Grape Mellow Yellow Zero. Those... Uh, those like touchscreen uh, soft drink machines are uh, going to be my undoing. Uh, but the, no, seriously. Seven listeners just realized that Mellow Yellow is still a thing, that there's a grape zero option, yeah, which you, uh, congratulations, everyone. If you didn't know that this podcast was being taped in North Carolina and I was talking to someone with the Carolina Hurricane, like that just told you. I mean, there is no more <laughs> North Carolina thing than drinking Mellow Yellow Zero and, and opening a podcast about it. <laughs> Um, no, so uh, again, thank you. And uh, let's start with, you know, we talked about the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, this career walk that I typically do to open the podcast is going to be pretty easy with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we could go backwards here in a little bit, but um, tell the listeners uh, what your position is now there in marketing with the Hurricanes and what all that entails. Yeah, I, I'm the vice president of marketing with the Carolina Hurricanes. I also serve um, as our executive director for our nonprofit, which we call the Kids in Community Foundation. Um, I, all of our marketing is in-house, so we kind of have some key departments that make that up. Are obviously uh, true marketing department, graphic design, uh, ad placement, 
digital, social media, all that kind of fun stuff is in that arm. But so is our in-game entertainment and production crew called Kane's Vision. Uh, all of our TV spots, web, everything is created in-house, so this guy's handled that. Community relations and then promotions fan development. So uh, we've got a, a good staff size. We all kind of try to pull the rope in the same direction. Uh, we've kind of brought some of those departments into the marketing arm within the last you know, five to seven years just to try to make sure everything's cohesive, and I uh, think it works really well. And so for those four departments, do you have directors of each under you, or how are those structured? Yeah, there's three directors. Um, one person, John Chase, oversees both promotions uh, and community relations. They're, I can think they're kind of similar walks. Uh, but then there's a marketing director and a director of uh, Kane's Vision and in-game marketing, uh, Mike Foreman and Chris Greenlee. And I think total staff size, uh, it would be another 16 folks across those four departments. So total coming up to me, I think is 19 right now. And you've been in this VP role since 2010, is that correct? You got it. Yeah, I think. Right. Uh, that sounds right. Why not? Let's go with that. Sure, okay. Um, and, and what does that look like on a night-to-night basis? Um, are you in... Who knows? Right. <laughs> just a runaway... No. Um, are you in the stadium every night? Again, just to kind of give that perspective. Yeah. Of, I'm not going to say... I'm not going to hold you to, like, what does a typical day look like? Because I know it changes, but um, when, when the puck drops, what are you doing in the stadium? Great question. Um, hiding under a desk somewhere, usually. Okay. okay. Uh, no, I, yeah, I, I'm here every night. I, I like to talk to fans. I like to talk to people and try to find out um, kind of what the pulse is around the team. I think that kind of helps you with your with your outlook and your marketing. But I, I watch the end game pretty closely, obviously, with that reporting up through me, uh, both kind of our entertainment side, but also our outreach side from whether it's on the concourse, how we're greeting people, how we're doing those things, because uh, those are the key touch points for fans. So uh, game night, I, I'm here every game night, um, you know, stay an hour or so afterwards, kind of catching up with staff, making sure everything kind of went uh, how they had planned, uh, or at least close, um, and just trying to some, tighten some things up. But love game nights. You know, I, I probably don't have to be here every game, uh, but if you if you kind of lose the love of the game nights, then I think you lose the love of what you're doing. So right. um, I'm happy to be here 41 times a year. And then, uh, you know, again, I catch you after a game. Uh, do you, what does it look like the next day? Do you sit with the team? Do you sit with the directors, a team meaning your marketing team? I'm not saying, do you go sit I'm there? usually in the locker room. Yeah, yeah. do you go down yeah. to the players and tell them what went well? Um, no, yeah, but, I correct Jordan Stahl and face-offs. <laughs> right. Um, do, but do you kind of have a, uh, you know, what worked, what didn't type of kind of state we, of the We union? don't do it every game. And I don't mean to say that after every game I go find each of my directors and say, because I, I try to let them do their thing right. uh, and try to micromanage there. But um, yeah, if there's something that's glaring that we need to fix before the next game, then yeah, we'll meet about it. But typically, um, you know, you're back in the office pretty early. I think that's the thing that most people um, don't understand is that, you know, game night for me, we usually have a seven o'clock puck drop games over around nine 30. I'm usually out of the, the building around 10 45, may get home about 11. Uh, and then you're back in the office, you know, eight 30 the next morning. And it's not because, uh, my boss cares. I don't think he knows when I come in. Um, it's because I have a lot of things to do. It's it's because you have a lot of work to get done. So some of that is kind of trying to say, hey, this looked great. This didn't. Let's fix that. Uh, but a lot of it is just kind of game planning for 
probably 10 days out, 14 days out. Right. How does the Kids and Community Foundation weave into this? Now, is that always, you know, I know you've been in that role concurrently now for almost 10 years, but was that ever a a standalone job? Is that normal? That yeah, someone it was. Have it? Um, you know, before I took over um, the marketing departments, uh, community relations and the foundation kind of lived on their own island. And I actually kind of came up that way. I, I started in ticket sales. I moved kind of to the marketing world and moved from marketing to uh, being the director of our CR and our foundation. And it was a little bit of an odd move because there were some people on the marketing side that were saying, hey, you're kind of getting away from the business. You know, I saw that as a chance to, to really make an impact with our outreach and to kind of run my own business, uh, like a little small business. And I knew I could have a big impact on that foundation. And I knew that impact would be felt on the team. Uh, you know, that was expressed to me by my bosses at the time that, hey, this is a, this is a key piece of our outreach. This is a key piece of how the community perceives us. Uh, it needs to be done well. And so, you know, I really enjoyed tackling that. It by far has been uh, the most rewarding part of my job. I, I was, I don't want to say I was happy to keep it. I, I was honored to keep it when uh was made the head of marketing because usually that would go back to, you know, the executive director role would go back to somebody in the CR world. Um, but we, we worked a way to kind of keep me um, as executive director. There, there are people who take care of the day-to-day, uh, but I kind of still help with the vision and, uh, and and thoroughly enjoy it, and it definitely weaves into what we do in our marketing world because it is a major part of our outreach. We, we give away just over a half million dollars every year, usually around five hundred seventy-five thousand dollars in cash grants, which for a team of our size is is a decent is a good chunk, uh, and in a community like ours, makes a big impact. And we've had a lot of fun with that. We've kind of restructured how we give, and we kind of make sure that we're trying to have a big impact with those grants and. Uh, that, that has been a really fun part of the role. I was going to say, I mean, a, a truly unique opportunity uh, for you. You know, a lot of people in their career, you know, when someone says, you know, what are ways that I can maybe climb the ladder faster, or get different opportunities, or network, and things like that. And you know, I've always said, you know, get involved with not-for-profit organizations. You know, they're always looking for help, and you've had a chance to do that within your job and build that within your uh, within the hurricane. So I, you almost get the best of both worlds in your day to day. You do. You, you really do. And, you know, the part that I didn't think about when I was younger was what our board looked like, what the board of directors of the nonprofit looked like. Um, you know, and, and I, I remember walking into that first meeting when I was 27 um, and I was shaking. I mean, I was just nervous because right. you, you, you sit down to run a meeting and, you know, I think at the time we were nine people on our board and all of them were C-suite people of major corporations in our area. And they're looking at me to run a meeting and, you know, you kind of just try not to shake anyone's hands so they don't realize how sweaty your palms are. But, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, if you can make an impact on that and if you can showcase yourself there, then you know, that leads to other personal opportunities uh, down the road as well. So uh, without a doubt, I think the impact I had there uh, influenced some people on that board who would then talk to my bosses and say, hey, this is a guy who's capable of more. I, I think it's a key reason why I got the, the VP of marketing role. Interesting. Wow. So do you do anything like that outside of the hurricanes as well, or are you pretty well tapped in terms of bandwidth? No, yeah, um, I, I am well tapped. Um, so <laughs> I probably shouldn't. I, I stayed off boards for a little while because I didn't want the conflict of where we were giving. Right. Uh, but I've picked up a few that, that uh, don't really play as much in the Kids and Community Foundation world. So 
there's probably four or five groups now where uh, there's two where I'm a true board member and there's another two or three where I'm uh, an advisor role and, and really enjoy those. I, I think, you know, you got to find what gives you energy, right? No, no matter what you're doing. And for me, the, this, the community side gives me energy, seeing the bigger impact to me, if it was just a kid's game that we're sitting here trying to market and cheer about, then uh, I'm not sure I'd be as passionate about it, but it's a kid's game that unites people and brings community together and has a healing aspect and, and has a growth aspect. That's what excites me. Got it. So now let's go all the way back. I won't hold it against you. Went to state, all right, North Carolina State. Uh, so you're coming out of NC State, and what's the plan? What what is what's Doug Wharf's master plan? You're going to be vice president of marketing uh, in you know a decade and a half. I'm sure that was the goal and the plan all along. But no, <laughs> um, you went minor league baseball first, which. Hey, if you want to wear many hats, get your hands dirty, meet oh. some people, uh, that's the way to go. So uh, talk about that. Did you, job fair, network, how'd you get that? And then how'd you leverage that into, again, 10 plus years of the Hurricanes? Yeah, I, I started as an intern with the Hurricanes and um, had a, a buddy who was working here getting PJ Aveta. Um, Mutual friend. Growing up yeah. with, he, you know, he said, hey, we need an intern in the sales department. And the team had just moved to Raleigh. I, I did not know a ton about hockey. You know, I'd played uh, Sega Genesis NHL 94 until uh, I think the game broke. Uh, but that was, you know, my biggest connection being a, a kid from the Carolinas uh, before before the Canes were here. Um, I, I did it to work in baseball. I, I loved baseball. I played baseball, you know, up to college. I kind of thought that would be what I'd want to work in. Um, I did this to get kind of some experience, and I quickly saw that I loved hockey. So then when I went to work in minor league baseball, um, you know, I, I just, it, it, I didn't have the same kind of vibe. Uh, and maybe it was because it was minor league baseball. I don't know. Uh, long hours, you know, just a ton of time. I will say that, it, you know, when I got that gig, I thought I would go and turn in major league baseball. It was the first aha moment for me that uh, though I was, you know, Dean's list every semester and had a year and a half of an internship with a pro sports team, it just doesn't give you an internship um, in, in sports and in professional sports. So I think I had an in with the Giants and I had an in with the uh, with the Yankees. And I thought, well, I can use those ends. I didn't even come close. I didn't get an interview in the two gigs. And both were unpaid. You know, right. I would have had to pay my money to live in those expensive cities for the summer. Uh, anyway, lo- long story short, I, I, I set the sights a little more local, did the minor league thing. Um, I, you know, it was, it was tough. I was there eight in the morning. I left 1 a.m. at night. I was literally the guy who, uh, shut off the lights there for that, that team. Um, Mudcats, that, that right? was really Carolina hard. Mudcats? Yeah, the Carolina Mudcats right. in Zebulon, North Carolina. Um, yeah. And, and you learn a lot there because to your point, I mean, I, I worked on the field crew. I cleaned bathrooms. I, uh, you know, I, shined up the uh, concession stands. You name it, I did it. I oversaw parking. Uh, I oversaw the cleanup crew. Uh, just strange things that you never get to touch again in pro sports because it's so siloed. It was a great learning experience, but it also kind of taught me, too, that I, I had really found something with the hurricane. So uh, kind of came back to hockey after that. And talk about that. So did they, you know, I know the job process for the Yankees and the the Giants, as you said, that was challenging and competitive. You know, that extends to all sports as well. So how did you, did you go back as an intern to the Hurricanes? That's a good question. Yeah. yeah. So I was graduating 
from NC State, the greatest university in the world, especially North Carolina. Nope. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, I had what I thought was a job lined up. And the key to this story is not like a woe is me. It's a you're going to have bumps in the road. You know, you're going to have challenges. So I had interned for the Canes at that point in time for two seasons because um, I came back and finished an internship. Graduating from NC State, we talked about a job, we talked about a role, we talked about a salary. I mean, it was a it was a done deal. And I think I graduated in May, and in late April, my boss came to me and said, "Hey, you know, we think in another year we're going to have this kind of long lockout, and we're going to start kind of trimming back some positions that might, you know, not survive that lockout." The one we we're kind of offering you is one of the first ones we're trimming, and so you know it was a it was a huge awakening for me because here I was again you know I'd, I'd given two years an internship unpaid, you kind of think you've got the gig and and you know my boss gave me great advice he said listen you can say every bad word you want to to me um, or you can kind of take a breath step back from it and luckily that's what I did and I came back and he said hey thanks I'm I'm better today than I was two years ago you know my resume is much better. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. If anything else pops up in the next couple months, let me know. And luckily, something came open in sales. I kind of had to fight to get that gig because I didn't have true uh, full-time sales experience. Uh, but I truly believe if you can't sell yourself, you can't sell anything. So uh sold myself, got the gig, and, and, and kind of was back in it. Got it. So you then sold prior to the lockout or you know, yeah so through to that. continue that strange story of of crazy things happen okay. um, you know I, I i go into sales um it, 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 i enjoyed sales uh but funny enough the guy the position they tried to hire me for um the guy who was running it all by himself was was really struggling so they moved me back to the original position uh so moved from sales back over to promotions on the marketing side had to take a pay cut, but I felt like it was probably the best path for me from a career growth standpoint, from what matched my strengths uh, and, and, and what where I could really showcase myself. Um, and then, you know, when the lockout happened, um, you know, we were all kind of told, hey, there's a group of you who are good all the way through. There's a group who are being laid off in the next week. And then there's a group in the middle who are good until maybe January, you know, and then we'll have to make a decision. And I was told I was in that middle group. And again, that's kind of a gut check of, um, okay, <laughs> do I still want to keep doing this? And yeah, did, you know, you start, did you start looking lucky. around? I mean, did you? Yeah, it was one of those things where, where you look a little bit, but you're also 23, right? So you're kind of like, well, you know, what do I have to lose? Um, and so you kind of just put your head down. And, and I said, all right, you know, I'm going to prove to them that by January, they can't live without me. And looking back on it now as, you know, as, as a, a – a manager of people, it made sense. If someone comes to you and says, hey, you're going to have to cut 10 people out of your 20-person staff, you're going to cut the youngest, greenest people, if if that's a possibility, right? It's, it, you want to keep the senior people, you want to keep the people with families, it, it's a tough decision. Right. Uh, but the good thing for me was I was able to showcase myself and enough other people did leave naturally that, you know, come January, I was running the department. And it was a real win for me because it was a really tough time. But when we came out on the other side, I was 24, and I was the manager of our promotions and fan development department. I got to hire three people. Um, I think the lockout ended in August. We started playing games, you know, preseason games in September. That was the year we won the cup. So, I mean, it was, a, it was just a crazy, crazy year. 
Uh, wow. So at that point you were, like you said, 23 and starting to build a team. So, um, learning management experience, uh, and, and things like that on the fly. And terribly, I mean, I, I feel bad. Um, two of those people, two of the three still work here, still work for me. So I guess it wasn't that bad, but, oh, um, yeah, great. I mean, you, you, you learn through mistakes in a lot of those cases. Right. Um, and then how did, and I obviously know promotions and fan development fall under you now. Um, but your career then continued to morph into the community relations piece and then what it is today. So do you Correct. think that all these, I think I'm sure the answer is yes, but all of these different experiences and these, these buckets under the marketing umbrella have helped you become a better marketing leader? Without a doubt. You know, without a doubt. I think um, what I always tell my staff and, and anyone who's willing to listen is that everyone who works in professional sports thinks they have the toughest job. They do. Like, you could ask him and they say, yeah, yeah, you know, I might. And they could make a case. That's my other point is on certain days, everyone is also right. And so if you can kind of understand that everyone has a tough job, everyone works hard, everyone has long hours, um, then you kind of have a better understanding going into it. And I think that some people, you know, say, oh, the sales guys, you know, they just said, well, you try calling 80 people a day yeah. and getting rejected 78 times uh, and tell me how much you love that. You know, and, and every role kind of has that piece to it as well. How do you build your team now? Uh, what, who do you look for? What do you like to see in a resume? Or do those directors lead the searches? Um, and then that kind of spins into, you know, advice. You know, who has helped you grow uh, there within yeah. the Hurricanes? And then, uh, again, what advice do you pass on as well? Well, you know, what I look for is dynamic people. You know, I think there's a couple of ways you can approach that. There's sometimes a concern of, well, this is, this guy's a flight risk. He's, you know, he's, he's young. He's done this. He's done that. Listen, if you've got a dynamic person who is, you know, if, if you've got 30 other hockey teams and you say, well, this could guy could be top five in the league in his role, you want that person on your team, even if it's just two years, because they're going to help transform the role and they're going to help the people around them. So, um, you know, my directors lead the, the task on their, their hires. I, I do usually sit on kind of when they get down to a final two or three. And that's what I'm looking for is, is this a dynamic person who's going to come in and add something to the team? You know, who, who's humble enough to say, all right, I'm part of the team, but confident enough to say, I'm going to add to the team as well. Um, that, that's what we look for. Um, advice. You know, I've had a lot of people give me advice. Um, two things that always stand out to me because I get this question some is one that I love is a lady named Doris Barksdale, who was, um, who was our community development manager for a long time. Unfortunately, passed away a few years ago. She had, she had a great saying that if two people are always saying yes, one of them is not needed. I think some people approach, I shouldn't say conflict in the workplace, but disagreements. It's great if two people don't agree. You can then work on it. It's how you work on it that's the key. But, you know, if two people are always saying yes, you don't need both of them. Uh, it's a great hmm. outlook. Hmm. And then Ron Francis had one that he gave me very early on. Uh, he's our GM now, but this was back when I think he might have even been a player still. Because uh, I, I was all excited about a win streak. And he said, Doug, it's not always fixed when you're winning, and it's not always broken when you're losing. Um, 
and it's it's just a good reminder that hey, even when things are going great, you've got things to work on. And then when it feels like everything's going terribly, it still means that probably some things are good. You just got to try to find the things that need to change. Um, so th- those were two big ones for me sure. from a standpoint of building. Um, you know, if you're if you're a younger person trying to get in the role, I always loved a Henry Ford quote that you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. You actually have to go out and do things. So. Um, you know, those, those are some that I, I stick with me that I actually have next to my desk um, in a goofy way. How's Francis as a boss? Well, I don't report to Ron. Um, but uh, just in terms of also side, uh, as a boss, great dude. Yeah, great you guy. know, former player, obviously amazing player. Um, always curious when you see someone like, like Elway going to the front office there in Denver, things like that. So um, what kind of leader is he? Well, um, he, he's got a quiet confidence to him. Yeah. Uh, very, very down to earth, very approachable. Uh, yeah, I was just in Toronto with the team and the team left and I was flying back home. Uh, it was over Thanksgiving. He was kind of doing the same and I was just sitting at the hotel bar and he comes in and he sits with me for two hours. You know, it's, it's just the kind of guy he is. It, um, it, he's just very approachable, easy to talk to. But what I like about him, what I like about guys that are at that caliber, is they've already proven themselves, yep. um, and if they are smart, if they're if they're good at their job, then they're not going to let outside influences kind of move the needle for them. They know what they need to do. They're going to stick to it. And he, you know, he doesn't need to prove himself as a GM to be considered one of the best of all time. The guy's still second all time in assists. I think he's fifth or sixth all time in points. You know, so this is something where he's going to stick to his guns. Uh, and I really like that about him. He's building this team the right way, and it's, that's a hard thing to do when losses mount and you know stands are empty for a little bit. Just knowing that, hey, when we are good, we're going to be good for seven, eight, nine, ten years straight on the right model. Right. I believe you've had the same owner your entire tenure. Is that correct? Correct. And, and but different bosses. Um, who who right. do you report into now? And maybe over the years, in addition to someone like Francis, like who, who's been a good mentor for you there? And then do you have those outside of the Hurricanes as well? Good question. Um, yeah, um, I, I report directly to our president now, Don Waddell. Um, he's been great to work with. Don's a longtime hockey guy. Uh, and, and one of the rare ones who is kind of both hockey and business. Uh, he's been a, hmm. an assistant GM, a GM, a coach, but he's also been president in a lot of places and, and has a good grasp in the business. He's been good to work with. Uh, Jim Rutherford was great for me. Jim was our, our GM and president for a long time, now the, uh, the GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, he, he was a great mentor for me, still still is, uh, and, and taught me a lot of just about how to approach people, you know, how to treat people. Uh, you know, to kind of keep your calm, even in tough situations. Uh, and then Mike Amendola was our CFO for a long time and then kind of acted as our president, didn't have the title, but a lot of us on the business side reported to him. It was one of those weird relationships where you usually don't have a CFO in that role. He, he taught me a lot about how the, the the straight black and white numbers people think. Hmm. Uh, and that was big for me because, you know, finance accounting is something I wish I would have spent more time on in school. Uh, and he kind of gave me a crash course for about five years, uh, but in a nice way. Right. Uh, for uh, going back to building your teams and recruiting, what's been the most effective thing for you? Uh, is it the, the job fairs, the job boards, or is it networking? No, it, it's networking and it's internships. We, we take uh, great pride in hiring our interns because 
they are typically going to be your best employees. If, if it's working well, then when you have one of those entry-level people move up or move out to move up, uh, then you slide an intern right into to what that role was. Um, if not, then you want to make sure you stay well connected with people. I, I speak at colleges all the time, um, you know, across our area. And I do that just so I keep a connection with, with, you know, the next generation of, of leaders. Got it. Um, and, and you asked a question that I didn't answer. And I should have, sorry, Jake, you, you yeah. asked, do I still talk to people outside? I still have a group that I meet with that I kind of see as my board of directors, um, and I think that's vital. And for me, there are people who don't work for the team. Uh, they're in industries similar, but, but you know, we can compare notes and say, hey, how'd you approach this? How'd you handle this? If you don't have those outlets, it can be crushing sometimes. And it's really reassuring when you talk to someone who says, hey, man, I had the same problem. You know, I've got the same problem here. This is how I handled it. This is what I tried. This worked terribly. <laughs> this right. worked well. Um, and, and I, I can't advocate that enough at all stages, you know, as you're coming up, but also when you're, you're in a leadership role, you know, you touched on something unique though. You know, you guys are the only pro franchise in town. Um, so when you talk about wanting to talk to someone else who's in the industry or maybe bounce an idea off of, you know, you don't have that NBA team across the street or major league baseball team across the street. So, um, you know, twofold one, do you have peers in the industry, uh, that you maybe bounce best practices off of, or that you keep an eye on maybe a team that's doing it really well. And then two, what is it like in general being the only show in town, as it relates to a pro franchise, but you've also got ACC basketball and what's it like carving out a space in uh, that type of environment? Yeah. Uh, for me, for, to, to answer the first part of that, um, I do have peers that I keep up with. Um, you know, I've, I've become pretty good friends with, with Eric Blankenship and Jared Dillon down at the Tampa Bay lightning. I think the lightning do their roles uh, as well as almost anybody in the league. Uh, and, and probably if I was to say there was a model NHL franchise, I would put them near the top of a, of a model NHL franchise. Um, and those guys are, are key to that. Their so owner is key. But that uh, might surprise, I think that might surprise some people, maybe casual fans. Why is that? Because I can tell you, I just met with, and we had uh, Brian Killingsworth on, and, you know, he said the same thing. He, he was with the Bucks. He was CMO with the Bucks, And he said the, the, the Lightning just do it right. Well, it starts at the top. They've got an owner who's engaged in their community. He gives fifty thousand dollars away at every home game. Uh, when he took over the team, he you know he changed out of the seats because they weren't comfortable. He put in new restaurants and bars in the, in the uh, arena. But he also said, "Let's focus on the people we're hiring," and they've got just a good approach. You know, they they keep their average ticket price low. They have a good team on the ice. Um, but they're fun and engaging. They do a lot of things with their social media, which are kind of a little different. They, they take a few risks. Uh, they make sure they're in game, kind of has that fun feel to it. Um, and I, they've really just kind of woven themselves into the fabric of Tampa. Um, and I love just talking to those guys. You know, I, I think Columbus, um, the Blue Jackets do a good job. Nashville does a good job. Um, you know, it, they haven't had the on-ice success that Tampa has had recently, so it doesn't always translate the same in the stands. But I think those are guys who are plugging away the right way. And I like looking at the Orlando Magic um, in the NBA. It's, it's a, I think they're a very progressive team. 
very analytically focused on the business side, love digital and social. Uh, you know, th- those are teams that I try to watch and talk to. So is this just like a, a pro team in the Southeast and a mid to small market bracket? Is that you guys just all hang together? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We all get together and right. commiserate. So. Yeah. And, and others, you know, Dallas, uh, there are a handful of other teams where I, I do like what they're doing. Uh, and, and, you know, it is funny when we go to like league meetings at the NHL or ticket master meetings in the summer, you kind of see the same types of people hanging out, yep. you know, and I can't get with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the New York Rangers and, and swap ideas. It just doesn't work. <laughs> right. So, uh, and then I asked you really the two part question, um, they're in the triangle. What's it like trying yeah. to market this, uh, you know, on ice again, and just to go back to the Southeast, you know, a lot of people don't grow up. It's changing. I know. Uh, but it's not New York. It's not Toronto. They're they're growing up playing basketball and things like that. So how do you position the Hurricanes in that market? Yeah, well, we're we're the unifier, um, and I think that's what we've always tried to, to be. Is that you know, I, like you said, I, I went to NC State. I think you, uh, PJ, my brother, many other great fine people uh, <laughs> went to the UNC. Right. Um, you know, Duke is, is 20 minutes away as well. So you've got three pretty major universities within uh, 20 minutes of our arena. I can't go to something with my brother and enjoy it. I, I hate it every time that I see that light blue and he hates, you know, the Wolfpack red. So um, the thing that we can do with our families together are Hurricanes games. And, and we've always kind of been that way here. And there are a lot of people moving into our area. We're, you know, it depends on what you're reading, but one of the top five fastest growing areas, there's 64 people a day moving into the triangle, and that's moving into the triangle. Um, and when they move in, they don't have an allegiance to one of those schools. And we try to say, okay, here we are the community team. This is our rallying point. This is where we bring community together. Um, yeah, and I think that's been a, a key thing for us. But I think also, you know, you know, you compete with a lot of things. People always look at teams, but the entertainment dollar is what you compete with. Hmm. And whether it's a movie or whether it's a nice dinner, um, whether it's a, a kind of a staycation or trip to the coast, those are all things that are taking that expendable income out of the market. And we compete with all of those things. So you, you can't just look at sports and say, well, that's our competition. Uh, that's the obvious one, but it's not the one that's that's always uh, eating at the wallets. And more potential competition, and you know, I guess that they they do exist now currently. But I saw the the Carolina Railhawks, the I guess minor league soccer, uh, just made a big push this week that they're going to try to build a stadium, move to the MLS. So. If I'm an executive with them, and I'm sure you know all of them there, and they ask, let's say this gets off the ground, you know, how do we do this? What do you recommend? What advice do you have trying to market this in Raleigh? What would you say? Well, I think it'd be very similar. You know, they they need to uh, reach out to the community. You know, you can't just say, hey, we're here and we're pro, so come see us. Uh, you, you have to find a way to say, hey, we're here to make the area better. You know, we want to help make the triangle a better place to live. Uh, we have a pretty booming uh, youth soccer group here. The, um, the Castle Group, I think, is either the first or second largest youth soccer organization in the U.S. So right. they kind of have a natural base to pull from, and they have to try to make Castle uh, their best friend and move out from there. I think one of the mistakes that we made when we came in 
was we looked at, okay, we want to be in Charlotte and we want to be in Wilmington and Greensboro. You know, we need to take, we needed to take care of home first. You need to kind of do that 45 mile radius around Raleigh um, and say, okay, let's, let's dominate this and work out instead of trying to go two and a half hours South um, and work back. Hmm. What's next for you? You know, when, when you started with the hurricanes back in 1968, I think it was, uh, 70s, uh, <laughs> no, when, you, when you started with them and you said, Hey, I didn't know anything about hockey, but then you fell in love with it. Um, did you say from that point, Hey, you know what? I want to be a GM. I want to be a team president. Has that been your goal now, uh, for the last 10 plus years? Yeah. You know, I, I think, yeah, I have zero interest in running the hockey side, um, of a team. So I, I know what my strengths and weaknesses are and it's, it's not analyzing players. So, um, the, the president role is something that I, I would love to have at some point in time, but I know that there's still things that I need to kind of work on, uh, with my own resume. So, you know, I, I try to challenge myself with new things that I need to, to spend more time, uh, working in and with the corporate sales side. Um, I need to spend more time looking outside of sports marketing. You know, I, I think that's a, a thing that some of us kind of get locked in on as we watch this team and that team. And some of the better ideas that we've had, we've kind of stolen from other industries. Um, and that's a key thing for me to kind of keep my eyes on as, as I move forward to. Like what? What would be one of those examples? Well, so we, we're working on a pretty fun project right now that we we all kind of enjoy. It's called a homegrown series for us. Sure. We're we're focusing on some uh, some local items. So we, we're we've got eight nights where we're focusing on um, local beer, food, clothing, music, and art. And uh, you know, I, we kind of have watched other industries grow in that. Obviously, craft beer has just boomed. Uh, but there are other kind of local movements, especially with the millennial generation, that, that really push there. And that's something that not any, a lot of other teams were doing, but we watched kind of how the best craft beer groups were doing it and, and what they would spin off from their craft beer and what they would focus on when they'd have festivals. And that's kind of how we, we started to come up with some of the ideas for our homegrown series. Got it. Um, outside of work, uh, what do you like to do to – stay fresh, uh, learn, network, things like that. Is it, is it books? I know, I know you're listening to this podcast, so I'm, I don't even need to ask that. Avid, avid. Avid, listener. sure. Yeah. Yep. How many episodes have I had? No. You, you uh, eight? Close enough. Um, no, but uh, <laughs> what, just tr- truly, because you know, that's a question that I'm sure you get asked all the time. It's a question that I get asked. Um, what do you do to continue to, to grow as a professional? Um, one, I talk to people, but, but two, you know, books, I, I love leadership books, um, and, and leadership courses. I'm weird that way. Um, and I, you know, there's certain places on the web that I love, which is more blog focused, but, um, you know, I, I, I stay up on the Harvard business review. Um, I love the Harvard business review. I think it's a great outlet for, from a blog standpoint, um, from the marketing world, ad week, advertising age. Um, are, are two that I probably frequent a good bit. And, and then obviously, you know, publications like Sports Business Journal and the, you know, online Sports Business Daily are, are, are big pieces. But um, those are things that I kind of stay up on to, to try to stay fresh and new ideas. What about social? I know that uh, that part doesn't fall under your umbrella, the, the media uh, side, but are you active on social media, LinkedIn, uh, and where can people find you? 
Yeah, social media does fall into my world. Um, oh, okay. In, in the marketing side, but just not the actual uh, media publication side. Um, yeah, I'm I'm on Twitter is probably the best way to find me at Doug Warf D O U G W A R F, um, and LinkedIn. I, I have an Instagram uh, account, but it's more about me and my baby and my wife than <laughs> work. Right, and you mentioned Less interesting to most. And, and you mentioned them. You know, I know, I know. It's you've got a baby, but um, just in terms of you know the famous work-life balance or work-life integration, as I prefer to call it. Uh, do you try to get them to the stadium a decent amount? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, you know, it's kind of tough. Uh, daughter's one year old, so she's that's it's loud. Hard to, yeah, that's loud. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's loud, and it's it usually past her bedtime. But she comes to all the matinee games, and and she loves it. She actually claps now when uh, when hockey's on TV. She just starts clapping, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> it's like Pavlov's um, dog, like just uh, exactly. The, <laughs> the other night it was one a.m. We were just playing on the West Coast, and she woke up and was screaming. I said, "Sorry, well, we're going to watch the game. So right. It's wrapping up. You can come watch it with me." Um, the Ducks scored and she started clapping. I had to try to correct her that we don't cheer for that, but it was it was good that she saw and just started clapping and stopped crying. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I try to get them out. Um, and I think for anybody who's coming up, the work-life balance is ridiculously hard. Right. Uh, I, I don't think you're going to find anybody who's achieved a lot in pro sports that says, oh, yeah, I've mastered a work-life balance. Um, I, I think the key for me, because there's always something to do, you know, you, you never leave a day and say, well, we got everything done today. There's nothing left on the to-do list. Um, I, I think a key is you have to schedule things. And I never understood this until I was talking to a guy asking the same question. It was uh, a guy named Jim Davis, who was the, the CMO at a, a company called SAS. He's one of those mentors for me. And I said, Jim, how do you do it? How do you break away? And he said, you know what? He said, I don't like personal training lessons at the gym. He said, but I pay for them because once I pay – I don't break the commitment. Hmm. You know, he's like, I put it on the calendar. He's like, you know, I still be reasonable to only do once or twice a, a week. He's like, but you know, if it was just me putting, Hey, go to the gym on the calendar, I'm not going to go. But when I know I've paid 55 bucks, I'm not going to lose 55 bucks. And you kind of have to take that mentality with a lot of these things. Something that's been new for me is picking our daughter up from daycare. You can't not do that. You have to do that. Um, and I think if I would have taken that approach at 26 or 27 and said, okay, let's, let's put the gym on the calendar and treat it like picking up your daughter at daycare, like you have to do this, um, it would have helped me out a lot more. It would have helped me stay fresh. Uh, it would have helped me in some of those situations where um, you just aren't as sharp as you want to be. I think that's that's great advice. Schedule it. Be intentional. Uh, and then just in general, Doug, this was great. I think you uh, – you gave us a really clear look into what it's like to work for a professional hockey club. And I'm someone that's gone through, we only talked about the one lockout, but you went through two, correct? <laughs> yeah, one lasted a full season, one was just half a season, so so much easier. Just survive, right? I mean, look, you just you, you got through and um, to watch your career uh, evolve and to lead all those different groups, I know that it... it I'm confident that it gives you uh, just a unique perspective uh, to become just the the great leader that you are there uh, for the Hurricanes. And again, having lived in the Raleigh area, um, knew of you before I met you, and and no one uh, has anything but nice things to say about you. So uh, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for sharing uh, your background, and uh, hopefully you can catch up on the past eight episodes uh, at some point on your commute. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. We'll do. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Front Office Exchange, where you hear about the careers of some of the leading executives in sports business. Visit us at frontofficeexchange.com, on Facebook, at Front Office Exchange, and on Twitter, at Front Office EXCH, to access past episodes, show notes, and much, much more. 